Welcome to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. As Wyerton Willie looks for his shadow, we're bracing for another big storm. A new database put together by McMaster University grad shines a light on black Hamiltonians. We look at Aaron O'Toole's future as federal PC leader. Tensions continue to percolate along the Ukraine-Russia border. There's a new chief scout at Scouts Canada, and he wants you to explore the great outdoors. And it's over and out for the GOAT, Tom Brady, announcing his retirement for the National Football League. The GMH podcast starts now. This is the Good Morning Hamilton podcast on 900 CHML. Do you think Phil's going to come out and see a shadow? Punks a Tony Phil. That's right, Woodchuck Chuckers. It's Groundhog Day. Get up and sit that hog out there. Yeah. Happy Groundhog Day from all of us here on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Wyerton Willie, this just in, predicting an early spring. He came through. Willie, we love you. Amazing. Punxsutawney Phil saw his shadow earlier this morning. That makes six more weeks of winter, I guess, for all of the U.S. Is Punxsutawney Phil the American spokesperson for uh, Mother Nature's reign in that country? Shubenacadie Sam out in Atlantic Canada doing what groundhogs do and seeing his shadow? Uh, But Wyerton Willie. Predicting an early spring for us here in Ontario. Willie, coming to the rescue. Well, at, at least in, you know, six six weeks' time. Uh, winter storm warning in effect as well here in the Hamilton area. And, uh, well, we, we got a blast a couple of weeks ago. Another blast on the way. And uh, will it be as big as the last time? Anthony Farnell is the Chief Meteorologist at Global News and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Anthony, good morning. How are you? Good morning to you. Uh, busy already. It's uh, kind of been uh, one of those winters where we're, we're always talking about the weather. And, and yeah, this is another winter storm coming uh, coming our way. Well, and now we got Wyerton Willie trying to steal some of your thunder. What's up with that guy? What is up with that guy? Yeah, calling for an early spring. I, I guess that's giving us a little bit of hope uh, on this gloomy day. But uh, <laughs> I just saw the prediction, and uh, I, I, hey, I, I, I could have called him not seeing his shadow because it is, uh, it is snowing up in uh, Wyerton right now. Or snowing <laughs> so, what should we be bracing for here with this latest blast from Old Man Winter? Well, I see we, we now have a winter storm warning for the Hamilton area. I am uh, I would be very surprised if we end up with that high range, 30 centimeters out of this. I, I think uh, we're getting this initial onslaught. That's going to be later today. It's a wet snow that, that only starts to really accumulate um, by the evening rush. That's as the temperature drops below zero. And then it continues until 2, 3 in the morning at, at a pretty good clip. Uh, so by Thursday morning, we're talking 15 to maybe as much as 20 centimeters. The big question is, do we get this second round of snow later Thursday into Friday? And that's always been been the big question. Do we have that second round that, that doubles these accumulations? And right now, I, I just don't think it's going to be that bad on the tail end. So you're predicting, at least at this point, the worst of it could be tomorrow morning. Uh, it looks that way. And actually, the worst of it will be overnight tonight. Tomorrow morning, we have mostly blowing snow because the temperature is dropping throughout this in- entire event. So we're going to see uh, as time goes on, that snow goes from wet and sticky and everything freezing back up to a lot lighter and fluffier snow that blows around. That'll be by Thursday morning. And then on and off snow, light snow throughout the day. 
Uh, I was looking at a couple of uh, weather radar maps yesterday, and it looks like almost like three troughs coming at us at the same time. There's like a southern trough that has all the snow. The one in the middle has a mix of rain and snow, and there's a little bit of rain um, uh, above that. Is that like the uh, you know the, the the magic formula of which kind of trough hits us the hardest? Uh, yeah, that, that's pretty much it. So what we have is uh, this Arctic front, and it's basically the dividing line between what they're dealing with in the prairies right now. They had a blizzard yesterday in uh, Winnipeg, and now it's just brutally cold. And then this warmth that's trying to fight on the other side. So we've been trying to figure out as meteorologists where that dividing line sets up as these waves or troughs come come along the boundary. And it goes all the way back. You can trace it into Mexico right now. Uh, it's snowing up in the panhandle of Texas. It's been snowing uh, in Oklahoma. There's a crazy ice storm that's going to be uh, occurring as well. So there's all of that south of the border. And then does this continue into Ontario? That's the big question. And yes, we're going to see quite a bit of snow, but no, it doesn't compare to, to that crazy storm we had a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, and thankfully so. Anthony, thank you for your time. We'll catch up with you at uh, the Global News at 5.30 and 6 and, and uh, see the latest forecast modeling. Thanks for joining us. Thanks a lot for having me on. Anthony Farnell, Chief Meteorologist at Global News. You can check him out, yes, at 5.30 and 6 tonight on Global TV. Uh, what it looks like, at least from the, 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 the uh, CHML weather specialist, Jay McQueen and Anthony Farnell, 2 to 4 centimeters of snow today, uh, 10 to 15 tonight falling, another 5 to 10 tomorrow and then for the rest of the week and in the weekend you know, just a mix of sun and cloud seasonal highs minus four minus seven minus nine around there uh so we'll have some i guess pretty good weather to dig out come friday but uh, we'll be bracing for the big brunt as it approaches us you're listening to the good morning hamilton podcast from 900 chml this is my favorite story of the morning it's a new database that has been put together by a McMaster University graduate that is shining a light on Black Hamiltonians. Aaron Perry is the Youth Development Program Coordinator at the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association of Hamilton and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Aaron. Good morning. How are you? I'm good. How are you today? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. How did this Hamilton Black History database all start? Yeah, so I was... Uh still a student at McMaster at the time, and I was contacted by a faculty there who works with one of the organizations that's tied to it. So it was uh, this group known as the Center for Engaged Narrative Arts. Uh, there was the Hamilton uh, Black History Council, and then there was the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association, and they let me know they wanted a one-stop shop for Black history in Hamilton, since we don't really have a resource like that. So essentially contacted me to be the main researcher and kind of just find any resources we have in Hamilton that's touching on black stories and kind of just went from there. So what kind of uh, work, uh, the amount of work that you had to put into this? Because I, I would imagine that black history in Hamilton is quite extensive. Yeah, definitely. It's going back uh, hundreds of years to the 1600s. So a lot of my work starting off was since I was limited by uh, COVID, it, it was a lot of me doing research online, looking through a bunch of different online databases for literally any materials relating to Black history in Hamilton. So I, I kind of had a, a guidebook that was a book that kind of documents everything Black history in Hamilton. It's known as The Journey from Tollgate to Parkway by Adrian Chad. And I'd literally just go any keywords, events, names, stuff like that. I would search on every single database and try and collect everything. 
And then from there, I built a website to house all of this material and make it accessible to everyone in as user-friendly a way as I could. So a little more extensive than just going into Google and Googling Black History to Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think that the that was kind of the focus behind it because we understood that it's it's very difficult to find these materials since there are hundreds of materials but it's it's really hard to find them by googling so that's why we we had such a need for it especially with you know when we have youth wanting to actually learn about either their own history or the history of another community in Hamilton and you know we we want to make it as accessible as possible to those groups and you know since it is a little bit harder than just a simple google search you know that's why we need it what are some of the cool things you learned um, I think one of the biggest things I learned was the fact that black history goes back so far. Like I said, back to the 1600s, I, I didn't even realize that it goes back so far. And I think that sometimes we kind of get uh, wrapped up in our own focus on history or, or not understanding that there, there's a lot out there that we you, you don't really know what you don't know a lot of the time. And I think that that was a big part for me. Another thing was kind of just the breadth of all of the topics that I, I was reading about. Like there's a lot of black history related to health and medicine, to education, to the arts. And I think that that, that was big for me because a lot of the people in my family, you know, come from all those different realms. Like my brother, he's literally a musician and an audio engineer. And I'm out here finding things focused on black musical history and finding songbooks. And, and that was just emotionally a lot for me and it meant a lot to me. Yeah, I, I can imagine. Aaron Perry is our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML, Youth Development Program Coordinator at the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association of Hamilton. And uh, one of the key players in developing this new Hamilton Black History database. Is there a story that sticks out to you or a great story that not many people know about? Um, I think I would say that the thing that stood out to me the most was it was a man named Pew Lee Brown. And he was uh, delivering an address at City Hall. And I think that it's one of, if not the first example of kind of civic inclusion and black activism in the city. It goes back all all the way to the 1800s, early 1800s. And I think that that stuck out, stood out to me the most. And I think that it kind of just shows that our legacy goes that far in all of these realms and that we've been pushing for a while and that, you know, we're not going to stop pushing. And I think that that was one of the most amazing things for me. Aaron, how can people see your work? Where can they find it? So it will be accessible through the Hamilton Black History Council website as of February 21st when the site is live and should be easy to search it from there. Okay. And uh, does it stay up forever? Is there is this like a limited time kind of thing? No. So it's going to be up there forever. Uh, it's, we, we're designing it to make it as sustainable as possible. So even though I did a lot of the work starting out, it's it's going to be only growing from here. There's going to be an advisory committee looking after it. Uh, we're going to have people updating the site future going forward. And there's also tools on the site that allow people to uh, either submit resources they think aren't on the site or to suggest revisions or removals from the site. So it's it's meant to be as sustainable as possible so that hopefully it only grows from here, only becomes a bigger database and you know only serves as a better Black history resource going forward. We've got about 30 seconds, but you must have a great sense of pride now that you're, you know, officially a part of black history here in Hamilton. Yeah, it's definitely very weird, but I'm just glad that I, I could do something for my community and find a way to uh, make my ancestors proud. Aaron, a fabulous job. Thanks for joining us today. Good luck with this database, and uh, we hope to see it grow in the years to come. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. Have a good one.
You too. Aaron Perry, Youth Development Program Coordinator at the Afro-Canadian Caribbean Association of Hamilton. Check it out. It's the Hamilton Black History Database. It's going to officially launch February 21st as uh, part of uh, this uh, venture by the Hamilton Black History Council. Uh, I'm eager to see what this thing looks like and some of the history that we can dive into. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. One of the biggest stories is the future of one Aaron O'Toole. The federal PC leader is, uh, well, maybe his future might be hanging by a thread. We shall see as his caucus members get ready to vote on his leadership today and uh, here to chat about what may or may not happen and what would happen if either case comes about is Mackenzie Metcalf, research intern at Summa Strategies and joins us now on Good Morning Hamilton. Good morning, Mackenzie. Good morning, Rick. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Good. Thanks for asking. This is a huge day for Aaron O'Toole. Would it be the biggest day of his political career, do you think? It just might be. You know what? Since the news broke, O'Toole's had about 24 hours to prepare to save his entire political career. Um, And that's not a lot of time. O'Toole has seen challenges to his leadership um, come since the last election. But this is the most serious challenge that he's faced. Um, And the entire conflict kind of proliferated over the course of a couple of days. So from my perspective, things aren't looking very good for Aaron O'Toole. So how does this work today? The, the caucus members will gather around. Does, does O'Toole make his case for staying? Um, uh, you know, d- does that get heated? Take us into that kind of caucus meeting room. Yeah, so O'Toole has been making his case for about the last 24 hours since this has happened. He's been pleased um, on Twitter, and I'm sure he's been communicating with all of his different caucus members. So today in caucus, there's going to be a secret ballot where O'Toole has to win the support of his um, fellow MPs and his caucus members. Um, There are 119 members of the Conservative Party in the House of Commons. So he's going to need 60 people, at least on his side, to remain leader of the official opposition and leader of the Conservative Party. Um, And based on all accounts of I've been hearing MP statements in the press, as well as that signed letter by 35 MPs, um, things aren't looking very good for Aaron O'Toole. So you've said that a couple times now. So what what leads you to believe that change is in the air here? Um, well, the Conservative Party of Canada is a big tent party. You have social conservatives, fiscal conservatives, and small government advocates. Um, and O'Toole is clearly having difficulty keeping these different factions of the Conservative Party together. Um, O'Toole is obviously holding out hope that he can bring in his caucusship and um, be successful in this leadership review. Um, but... He has clearly been having trouble keeping his MPs in line. They've been speaking out in the press. um, And that's usually not a very good sign. He clearly um, doesn't have control of his caucus. um, And I think we're going to see what that means this afternoon. Do you get the sense, Mackenzie, that there are more hardline conservatives in this big tent and they want to see this change towards that kind of stance with this party? That could very well be the case, Um, and I think that is probably what a lot of Canadians are wondering and what we'll see today. Um, Like I said, there's a lot of different opinions within the Conservative Party of Canada, and we see that with the wide range of stances that people have taken on many different issues. Um, And O'Toole was picked as a little bit of a moderate leader. Um, A lot of people, and I'm sure he himself, thinks himself to be a social progressive and supporter 
um, of a lot of different social issues. Um, I hope that is the direction that the Conservative Party of Canada is heading towards, um, and they very well could pick a new leader with those values as well. Um, this is, I think, a little bit on O'Toole leadership and the fact that he has flip-flopped on a couple of stances and there's been a couple things that Conservative MPs haven't been happy with. Um, so the party could continue in the same direction after, but it all depends on if O'Toole survives this vote later today and who the Conservative Party picks afterwards. Our guest on Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML is Mackenzie Metcalf, research intern at Summa Strategies. We're talking about Aaron O'Toole's leadership uh, hanging in the balance today as caucus members get set to uh, have a secret vote on uh, whether or not he will retain that post. If he does manage to win the support of that 50 plus one percent of his caucus, what happens? He's got a lot of work to do. For sure. So from my perspective, if he wins, there's two things that he's going to have to do. Um, first, he's going to have to get conservatives on the same page and decide what they stand for. And second, he's going to have to use this opportunity to prove to Canadians that he is able to be an effective leader of the opposition and hold the Trudeau government into account. Um, right now, we are in a minority parliament, and that means that the official opposition has a lot of power. They have a lot of political sway. Um, and I think that it's really important that the Conservatives use the power that they're given now to prove to Canadians that they deserve to hold more because from my perspective, Canadians won't reward a party that ineffectively uses a modest amount of power with even more power in the next election. With 119 uh, MPs uh, in the House of Commons, he's going to need, as you mentioned, 60 of those people to say, yeah, okay, we're still with you. If that doesn't happen, uh, obviously there's going to be an interim leader named, but the race to replace Mr. O'Toole will be on. Who are some of the names that will be hovering to the fore? Some people are talking about Pierre Polyev. Um, I know Andrew Shearer's has, name has been floated around, but he was very quickly to dismiss that. Um, I think there's going to be a lot of names in this race, as there was in the last conservative um, leadership race. So we'll see what happens. Um, but as for the interim leader and who's going to be appointed, I'm not sure yet. And I'm sure we'll find um, out later today as that is elected immediately after the vote if O'Toole loses by secret ballot the leader of the Conservative Party will be elected or the interim leader will be elected um, right then and there. So I'm sure we'll find out later today if that happens. Um, but I think what's important to stress at this point is that this infighting is really not productive for the Conservative Party at all. Leaders drive internal fundraising um, and leadership elections are really costly and draw attention away from work that the party is doing. Um, this party has had four leaders since Trudeau was elected in 2015. And if O'Toole is ousted in the afternoon at this caucus meeting, then they'll be searching for a fifth leader. And this gives liberals time to govern in peace, which I'm sure is not what the Conservative Party is looking for. Yeah, Mr. Trudeau and the Liberals certainly loving what's going on with the federal Conservatives. Mackenzie, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for the analysis and enjoy your day. Thanks. Mackenzie Metcalf, research intern Summa Strategies, joining us here to talk about Aaron O'Toole's future as the leader of the CPC. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. They're asking for our help at their hour of need. And other allies have responded. The U.S., the U.K., Poland, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Czech Republic. Where is Canada? Canada has a long history of standing up to bullies. But standing up to bullies doesn't mean that we want conflict.
Aaron O'Toole and Justin Trudeau chiming in on what is happening in Ukraine and uh, much is happening over the last uh, number of weeks. Uh, the big question is what will happen? Welcome back to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. My name is Rick Zamprin. Thanks for taking some time out of your busy morning to spend it with us. We'll have another update of news, weather and traffic coming up at 7.30. David Carment is a professor of the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs at Carleton University and joins us now to chat about Russia, Ukraine, and Canada's involvement in this uh, impending battle, we think. Uh, David, good morning. Thanks for joining us. Oh, uh, glad to be here, Rick. Can you hear me? Uh, I can hear you loud and clear. Yeah, thanks for the time yeah, today. Um, just happy to be here, graduate of McMaster University. We're, uh, that's great to hear. We're hearing that um, Canadian Forces members, as part of this uh, Project Unifier, are moving farther away from the Russia-Ukraine border. Is that a is that a good sign or is that a bad sign? Well, it depends how you interpret uh, Canada's contribution to the uh, yeah, efforts to de-escalate tensions in uh, in the region. I mean, first of all, these troops that were deployed by Canada, they're part of a mission that is focused primarily on training uh, Ukrainian forces and police forces, so they're not really equipped to engage in any kind of combat. So moving them west of the Dnieper River essentially is an effort to protect them, but also to ensure they're not caught up in any any kind of tensions that might arise as a result of the crisis. There is talk, of course, of, uh, of incursion from Russia into Ukraine proper. Um, so I think that this is a a, a prudent move from the Canadian perspective. I, I suppose the, some of the media pundits have jumped on this and saying we're going in the opposite direction. But I, I would think that if you were going to uh, actually make an effort to support Ukraine through, uh, through troops and so on, it would not be this particular mission. It's not mandated to, to conduct that kind of activity in Ukraine. Yeah, a lot of the uh, you know the opposition members we heard from uh, uh, current, at least for the time being, uh, uh, PC leader Aaron O'Toole suggesting that you know where is Canada? And obviously, this you know two hundred member force wouldn't be the one to engage in any sort of uh, ground warfare if it does come to that. And if it does come to that, what do you think Canada's involvement will be? Will it be just from a defensive position and sending that kind of equipment over to Ukraine? Will more troops be sent over? What's your best guess and what our nation can contribute? Well, I think that the best guess comes from what we've done in the last uh, eight years or so. And even when uh, Jason Kennedy, Kennedy was the defense minister of the conservative government, he was very reluctant to provide any kind of offensive weapons or lethal weapons to Ukraine. We did provide some basic equipment to support the, the military there, but our, the focus was primarily on professionalizing the, the Ukrainian military. And those kinds of commitments are not coming just from Canada, but also from the Brits in particular, as well as the Americans. There's a number of countries that are involved in this joint commission, which is a training operation, amongst other things. I'd hate, I'd hesitate to think that Canada would be deployed in any way or form as a frontline contribution to any war effort, largely because we don't have any commitments to Ukraine proper to defend them in the event of any kind of war. We don't, they're not a member of NATO. Uh, our as they say, Article 5 of the NATO Charter would not kick in. Having said that, uh, we do have special forces there. They're ostensibly there to protect any Canadians caught up in the, uh, primarily diplomats caught up in the fray. Uh, but they all could easily be deployed to the front lines and they may also already be there because we don't really know how they're used in these kinds of situations. 
We have another minute with uh, David Carmens, professor at the Norman Patterson School of International Affairs, Carleton University, a McMaster University grad. Um, threat of sanctions against Russia don't really appear to be a deterrent. You know, this is the, this is the million dollar question because uh, you, depending on who you who you uh, listen to, uh, the Soviet Union, uh, rather, the, Russia is insulated fully from any kind of sanctions that might uh, be imposed upon them. We've seen that, that they've had limited effect on on uh, on their decisions in Crimea and eastern Ukraine. But on the other hand, I would say that uh, it's anyone's guess. Uh, this was. If there are major sanctions imposed upon Russia, it's likely to have a ripple effect, significant rippling effect on the region because it would lead to a cutting off of gas to West European nations, primarily Germany and other nations that depend on uh, their flows uh, and have significant deals with them. I see the United States is now trying to bring Qatar into this uh, Middle East nation that is a third most uh, important natural gas exporter into this discussion as an opportunity to ensure that there is gas flowing to Western Europe in the event the Russians uh, do shut off gas. So there's huge impacts here that will likely, very much likely extend beyond simply impose sanctions on Russia. I think, quite frankly, I think the Russian people are prepared for this kind of thing. They've weathered the storm before. Uh, That's not to say this is in any way good for everyone, but I think we underestimate Russian resolve at our own risk. Uh, Very much so. David, really appreciate the time today. Thanks for joining us. You're welcome. Thank you very much. David Carmen, Professor Norman Patterson, School of International Affairs at Carleton University, as we continue to wait and watch uh, what is happening at the Ukraine-Russia border. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. On Monday, Scouts Canada launched a four-week outdoor winter skills challenge. Claim the Flame is designed to encourage children and their families to explore the outdoors and well, learn a few things about themselves and nature, of course, along the way. Les Stroud is the new Chief Scout of Scouts Canada and an award-winning producer and star of the hit TV series Survivor Man. Les, good morning. Thanks for joining us today. How are you? Oh, my pleasure. I'm doing well. Thank you. You are the, as I mentioned, newly appointed Chief Scout at Scouts Canada. How cool is that? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's 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 uh, incredibly cool. It's one of those things where when it happened, you know, you think the self you think the uh, um, the vain things like, wow, this is a pretty cool feather in my cap. And then but, you know, but because the connection to scouts, it's really a no brainer for everything that I've that I've espoused, you know, a, a lot through my films and my and even my music and my books uh, has always been about connecting to nature and, you know, really uh, part of the core of, of being a scout is certainly connect, connection to nature and stewardship for the outdoors and, and community service. So yeah, it was a no brainer and I was thrilled and I was incredibly honored and it's all just been, just been put in place. Now this campaign is inspiring families to get outdoors this winter, have some fun, learn some skills along the way. So what should moms and dads and their kids be doing over the next four weeks? Yeah, well, and that's, and I want to point out here that, that, uh, um, as I'm just getting started with the scouts, the, this was a program that the scouts themselves had had already organized and put together. And sort of, I'm, I'm kind of jumping onto the the middle to tail end of it. But but it's again right up my alley. You know what you've asked is is really a key thing. Uh, I think honestly, a lot of times as a society of people that there's a lot of fear about nature and the out of doors, whether it's mosquitoes in the spring or, or whatever in the summer or cold in the winter. And yet the way to defeat that is to simply get out in it because it is so much 
more benign, let's say benign and accepting of us to be, you know, out there, you know, uh, frolicking, if you will, in the snow than it is against us. And, uh, and certainly through scouting, there's so many great ways to learn how to be out there effectively and to really make the most of, you know, hey, it's Canada, we get winter, so let's make the most of it. How do these sorts of outdoor activities help children and their families? Oh, boy. Well, the, I mean, how about the obvious ways? You, you know this is going to take eyes away from cell phones, eyes away from laptops, eyes away from even television. Uh, and where is it putting it? Sort of onto each other because you're out there building shelters together. You're out there exploring. Uh, you're out there having snowball fights, if you will. Either way, uh, it, it's... Again, I'll I'll overuse this phrase, it's a little bit of a no-brainer to think that being in a place so expansive where you think you can just sort of go out and get lost in, but at the same time, it brings us together. Because the thing about being out in nature is working together is, is one of the key components to enjoying it and even in the far end of things, the kind of stuff that I do is even survive in it. So it brings us together. It's, it's, uh, whereas that's not going to happen with um, a cell phone in our hands. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Les Stroud is our guest, a newly appointed Chief Scout of Scouts Canada and an award-winning producer and star of the hit TV series Survivor Man. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Um, throughout the pandemic, we've heard of uh, rising feelings of isolation and anxiety and depression among today's youth who were kind of forced out of school for large portions of the past uh, you know, academic years. Will exploring outdoors kind of help them clear their mind and get on a better path, so to speak? Huh. It's hard to me to answer that without just sort of saying, absolutely. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, um, absolutely. You know, I remember here's a, here's a quick, a quick anecdote from the past. I remember when I first started grade, I think it was, uh, well, we had grade nine was when I think went off without a hitch and in grade 10, there was a big uh, school strike and I was out of school for a long time and I did not have the mentorship of, of the scouting uh, uh, organization in my area or, or the mentorship of p- parents to get outside and to enjoy everything to do with nature. And unfortunately that led me down path that perhaps I shouldn't have gone down when I was, you know, a very impressionable 16 year old. Uh, so with some guidance and instruction and caregiving, uh, nature, you know, the, what I love to say about it is nature heals and strengthens and de-stresses whether you want it to or not. That's the amazing thing about the, the capacity of the earth itself and the energies of the earth itself. And I'm not going to get all airy fairy here. It's <laughs> science at this point, you know? And so being out, out in it, whether you are going out there on purpose to become more focused and to find uh, directives for your own life or not, either way, nature's giving that to you. It's doing it anyway. You get, it's, it's the ultimate aromatherapy, if you will. Uh, but this time you're being bombarded with, with billions of concoctions of, of natural energies and um, oh, biology that's affecting us. I, it's, it's really, boy, I could go on for a long time on that question. Les, really appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today and uh, have fun the next time you're outdoors. Thank you so much. And again, I, as you've done, I encourage everybody to, to join in, in, the, uh, in, the, in, the, in the Scouts Challenge uh, because it's, there are so many directions, uh, ways you can go with it that will get you connected to nature and have a lot of fun with winter. Thank you so much for your time. You're listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast from 900 CHML. There had been a sense late in the year that eh, maybe he's feeling it a little bit to an extent that he never did before, uh, you know, being 44 and and, uh, you know, performing at a high level still and, and all, the, all that goes into that.
Dan Graziano on ESPN, contemplating, uh, speculating, talking about Tom Brady. And uh, yes, he has, in fact, officially announced his retirement for the National Football League after 22 spectacular seasons. The 44-year-old finally throwing in the towel. He had made mention uh, a couple of years back that, hey, I, I feel good. The body feels great. The mind's fresh. Uh, I'm, I'm successful. I may just play until I'm 50. Well, he almost got there, um, you know, at 44, finally hanging up the helmet and saying goodbye to the National Football League and what a spectacular career it was. Here to reflect on the GOAT is Cindy Boren, sports reporter with the Washington Post. Cindy, good morning. Thanks for joining us on Good Morning Hamilton. Great to be with you on this snowy day there. <laughs> oh, it's coming. Uh, and I know that Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil and uh, our good friend Skidapity Sam, I know I butcher his name all the time, uh, both saw their shadows, so more winter uh, on the way. When I say Ooh. the name Tom Brady, what comes to mind? Um, one word, goat. Uh, <laughs> indis- to me, it's indisputable, really. Uh, he's just the greatest ever to have played football. And and it's also the, it's also the end of an era. You know, for the last 20 years, 22 years, We've seen uh, the NFL dominated by Peyton Manning, Tom Brady, uh, Drew Brees, um, you know, these quarterbacks who, who put up astronomical numbers statistically. And it's over, you know, the, the torch is passed to the new generation. It, it was kind of going in that way anyway, but it, it's now official. Yeah, it's really going to feel different come um, next season when a, a team that is playing, uh, you know, a Tom Brady-less Tampa Bay Buccaneers, or even to a certain extent, we're kind of feeling that this year with New England, is that uh, we don't have to face TB12 anymore. It must be a sigh of relief for opposing head coaches and, and defensive coordinators. Well, and it's also going to be an adjustment for fans because um, could you? Po- I don't think anyone could possibly look away from a game in the last two minutes if he had the ball and, and they were trailing by less than a touchdown. I mean, it was just must-see TV because you always knew. You know, it was a joke. You know, oh, that great. Tom Brady gets the ball in less than a minute. You know, we know how this is going to end. And we don't anymore. So it's, it's – and it also puts – you know, he was a, a must-see TV, period. He was on prime time all the time. So that there's a void there as well. Um. The undisputed greatest quarterback or the undisputed greatest football player? Can you separate the two? Oh, I hmm, I probably can and would just because uh, defensive players are, are so different. Uh, receivers mm-hmm. are so different. Um, I think he probably is the greatest player, though, just because the game runs through the quarterback, you know, for better or worse. The quarterback is, is the guy who's who's the game, who's calling the shots. Yeah, the, uh, the quarterback is the Reggie Jackson of football, the straw that stirs the drink. Cindy Bourne is yeah. our guest sports reporter with the Washington Post. You're listening to Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. Rick Zamprin with you. Tom Brady, as we know, was drafted 199th overall. <laughs> it's amazing to think about that. How did all those teams miss out on him? Uh, there was a guy named Dick Rebhine, the late Dick Rebhine of the uh, – who had an in with the Patriots and he's the one who kind of saw what, what Brady could be and saw his, his work ethic and, and really liked it. And, you know, everyone else looked at him. We've all seen the video from the combine of Brady, you know, in his, in his shorts with no shirt. And he looks like, you know, the guy you beat up on the playground, maybe. I, I mean, who would have thought, and you've seen him run at the combine. There was, there was really nothing there. What he had, in more of anything was a great arm. He, he did have that. 
that was a gift and and the mind and the work ethic. Uh, so there's three things though that he really had. He was he was just determined. He was also the kind of guy like Michael Jordan, um, tell him he couldn't do something, you know, get out of the way if you do that, because he's bound and determined to do it. He, it's just kind of a, a different mindset. Another big story making the rounds in the National Football League, aside from Tom Brady's retirement, is a former Miami Dolphins head coach Brian Flores, who's now suing the league and three other teams, alleging racism in hiring practices. So long story short, he was you know, going to be interviewing for the head coaching position with the New York Giants. And uh, the Giants uh, had already made the determination that they were going to hire Brian Dable, the offensive coordinator of the Buffalo Bills, and really didn't give Flores a chance. So he's now intimating that, uh, listen, we, we have to do a much better job and is going so far as to sue the league. How do you see this playing out? It's going to be ugly. There, You know, there will be lawyers. Um, and I think it, it raises the awareness of a huge problem in the NFL, whether anything will be done about it, who knows, because let's face it, the NFL is 30 to 31 and one publicly owned team, 31 uh, billionaires who are uh, inclined to do things the way they want to do them. And guess what? They're all also white. Um, so they don't really listen to other people and they're, they're in a bubble. They're really pretty much unfazed by criticism. So, you know, how how did that work out with um, with the, the text message from Bill Belichick telling Brian Flores that he he wasn't going to be the coach? When did that happen? How did that fit into the timeline of the interviews? The Giants claim that, oh, no, we were serious about talking to him. The decision hadn't been made. They were also going to talk to Leslie Frazier. But the bottom line is, look at the league. Look at the coaches, the 32 coaches. There's one person of color. Uh, to me, that speaks volumes. Yeah, this is going to get messy, I'm sure. Cindy, as always, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks, you too. Cindy Boren, sports reporter, Washington Post. Thanks for listening to the Good Morning Hamilton podcast. You can listen to the show live weekday mornings from 530 to 9 on 900 CHML and online at 900CHML.com. The Good Morning Hamilton podcast is available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm Rick Samprin. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free so you never miss an episode. And make sure you rate and review.